GVHD Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the GVHD Hub Podcast. We're pleased to bring you a discussion by the GVHD Hub Steering Committee members on what should supportive care look like for patients with chronic GVHD. This discussion was hosted by Professor Amina Lucy from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, US, and was recorded during the November Steering Committee meeting. The discussion features input from Hildegard Grenix from the Medical University of Graz in Graz, Austria, Attilio Olivieri from the Ospedali Rioniti di Ancona in Ancona, Italy, Mutzla Aratz from Istanbul Florence Nightingale Hospital in Istanbul, Turkey, and Ali Bazabaki from the American University of Beirut in Beirut, Lebanon. So the question or the topic is on how we can better um, highlight and incorporate into the hub um, supportive care. Um, I think uh, Dr. Grenix and others um, in earlier consensus guidelines really folk, you know, brought to the table the role of supportive care and the management of chronic GVHD. But this tends to be an area for which there's, you know, not tremendous amount of uh, published research, and it's hard to disseminate those practices um, across centers. I can just say, you know, as a GVHD clinician and having a um, a, a dedicated clinic uh, with a multidisciplinary team. Um, the role of supportive care, in my estimation, in the you know, treatment of a chronic GVHD patient is 50 percent of, um, of 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 the therapy um, and uh, improvements um, come through optimized supportive care. So it really is an important topic that doesn't get highlighted. So we wanted to open up uh, discussions uh, in that space. And uh, to do so, I'll just highlight w one challenge that I've personally faced. So um, uh, about um, seven years ago, I was introduced to an occupational therapist uh, um, who had uh, interest in, in patients with contractures after referring a patient to her for therapy. And um, she came from a different space, not related to transplant and and uh, in, in, in working uh, with burn patients and how therapies are used for occupational therapy to improve contractures and, and scarring of the tissues in that setting. And since then, I've uh, uh, she's been become part of my my clinic and my team and um, she does amazing work. She builds these bivalve casts that patients wear to improve uh, mobility and range of motion. And we know that uh, this aspect of patients with severe GVHD is so challenging. Um, recently, we've tried to, to study this and publish upon this, and we've put together retrospective review of all the patients who've uh, participated in this comprehensive program. And, and we really have been able to demonstrate um, improvement in mobility, and we're putting forth a, a manuscript, but I already know the challenges in getting that published will be that, you know, the patients are on concurrent therapies. How do you know that your supportive care is adding to it? And so uh, these type of publications take a lot of work, but don't often, from an academic perspective, get much payoff. Um, I've been working with Stephanie Lee and others to see how we can highlight this therapy just so more patients could could benefit from it. And we've discussed, you know, how I treat articles and and things. And and uh, this is one area where I think the hub could really, um, you know, play a role uh, to, to disseminate these benefits. But um, well, with that, I'll open up the discussion for others. I do agree. I think um, you um, 
mentioned a very important points also that it's in academic uh, medicine very difficult to get these cumbersome studies published, unfortunately. Uh, what I guess would be a huge benefit because that's also what you experience in daily clinic is uh, even if you have uh, the manuscripts about consensus on supportive care for all sort of different organs, eye, skin, uh, gynecologic, whatever, um, there is then differences whether they are easy or difficult to use. For example, there's topical steroids that are very sticky so that patients have a hard time to, to reach uh, oral lesions uh, or there is eye drops that are burning and they have to accept this or find something else. So I guess if we would start as we have uh, mentioned before with um, um, uh, a consultant like with an ophthalmologist, gynecologist, dermatologist, whatever, and um, come up with questions like what to do, severe pain, can swallow this or that, um, and give very practical advice how to exclude viral infections, for example, in oral mucosa involvement, um, what uh, topical treatments are available, um, what do you have to um, consider and things like that. Um, it would be quite helpful both for clinicians and even if others look it up. Because that would be the difference to the consensus papers where you have this huge shopping list. Um, but you then have to make your own, have to have your own experience in talking with the patients and other healthcare providers what works or doesn't work in this or that situation. Yeah, great, great points. Um, you know, very focused questions. Um, you know, how do you discern viral? How do you get around, um, um, you know, um, adherence to therapies that may have um, uh, side effects? You know, there's no papers on that and, and, and it doesn't even make um, consensus publications because, um, you know, they're just so focused, but they're things we face in day-to-day -day life. And and just, you know, having a, a one-minute video or two-minute video of a content expert talking about that. Um, I know um, uh, for oral health, uh, again, I've been fortunate to have a, a, a oral pathologist work in my clinic, and I've learned so much from him and, and this there's this entity called Tuxi that I know patients are being mislabeled as having GVHD when they have this entity. Um, and I've never even heard it before. And how do you disseminate that knowledge? You know, there's so much room for it and, and it's not gonna make manuscripts or, or make it to any clinician's desk to see this in any other content of just a really focused discussion. And so, Yes, I think those are wonderful uh, suggestions. I'd love to hear from other people. So I know a lot of supportive care around skin care uh, is another area of importance. Um, I think in the in the topics that um, um, the GVHD hub uh, put out there, they mentioned drug to drug interactions and of course pulling in pharmacists into those discussions would be important. Pain management um, in a in a couple of weeks, I'm speaking with mental health professionals about GVHD um, um, uh, to get their, um, you know, educate them on what GVHD is because often they're called to manage, you know, um, um, cognitive as well as um, um, depression and other uh, anxiety around this uh, 
this chronic illness and yet they have poor understanding. So, you know, having discussions around mental health and uh, would be so important, but, but, you know, the list is unlimited. So we really would love to hear other topics within that space that any of you all could think of. I mean, I guess steroid induced diabetes, uh, because there is a lot of discussion sometimes if patients uh, um, are seen by um, internal medicine people uh, that uh, they don't um, consider that they do need insulin. So steroid-induced diabetes is not the same like having um, diabetes during your adulthood. And sometimes uh, also patients try to avoid insulin because they think a tablet would be more convenient. Uh, or osteoporosis, prophylaxis, and um, um, uh, treatment is for sure also something that is um, quite cumbersome for patients and has a an, an heavy uh, impact on their quality of life. I mean, we could also focus on areas, for example, in eye involvement, lenses, because, for example, our center doesn't use lenses. We, we never got into that. There is others who do. Mm-hmm. So um, there's yeah. sometimes uh, suggestions or consensus about things uh, that uh, are not no- known in other parts uh, or when you don't have an ophthalmologist who is working with them, um, you never get into that. And I'm sure this is also the case in other areas. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's sometimes just a matter of um, getting someone interested and um, and cross um, cultivating uh, contact experts from other areas where there's that expertise or, or some experience. Um, I know with the lenses, you know, for, for years it was focused on one particular brand and now with 3D printing, they can make these lenses that rival those for a fraction of the cost. And so there's a lot of ways that um, this this therapy could be extended to people across the world um, um, without you know, what was once a cost prohibitive mm-hmm. uh, option for our patients. So that's one area. Um, uh, Dr. Arat, do you have a? Yeah, uh, I think the pulmonary problems of these patients is utmost importance. So we are talking about these pulmonary people. And so many of our people are not aware about in pulmonary GVHD, they're profile their long-lasting problems and as you know they can't get rid of these infections and so uh, we are trying to make a collaborative hub in turkey so and then uh, we are going to their national congresses but i think the people are the pulmonary complicated gv chronic gvhd people are they need a pulmonary rehabilitation their prophylaxis their ivig need, etc. These are the problems that mostly, which is neglected, I guess. Yeah, great comments. And and I know the uh, pulmonary GVHD community is putting together a um, uh, interest group uh, specific, uh, a lung GVHD interest group. And I think they're going to have uh, a um, social media presence and others, and they really want to pull in pulmonologists across the world. And so just linking that um, population together would would do so much for what we know to be such a highly morbid form of GVHD and just uh, applying some of those 
you know, how you treat or just a simple connecting people via email. I have a challenging patient It would go so, so far for our patients. And, and it's also, I think, what what I heard from Stephanie Lee, for example, there are centers in the U.S. who have who have this spirometry where the patients can do home that themselves. Home spirometry, mm -hmm. yes, home spirometry. It's really been a fascinating area of research that we and others have um, published upon. Um, but yes, it's 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 interesting, and with the technology is getting so it's getting cheap, and with Wi-Fi, it you know patients could be in the middle of nowhere and um, and uh, do this test and get the information back to a center um, for 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 dimes uh, really for for you know not even you know it's it's really very affordable but yes this could have very long reach uh, um, globally and you could also assess the impact of a certain treatment easier um, and it's not such an effort that they have to travel long distance and all of that yeah yeah um another area uh, that i never even heard of and just a couple years ago i um uh, a pelvic floor therapist uh, uh, a patient of mine uh, ended up seeing a pelvic floor therapist and i learned of this dis discipline these are phd trained physical therapists specialize in diseases of the pelvic floor and um uh, for years treating these patients and women with uh, severe vaginal GVHD, it was so hopeless. And um, by referring to these pelvic floor therapists, the progress that was made in such a short period of time that we've failed to, um, I've failed to uh, see in the past with just what's been traditionally done, it was amazing. And so just getting interested in pelvic floor therapists, um, um, you know what that is and what they can do and how they approach the problem of vaginal GVHD, which is uh, much more comprehensive than uh, not speaking poorly of gynecologists, but the gynecologists have a very focused medical view and uh, these pelvic floor therapists really bring uh, a full laundry list of therapies that they employ to help women with this very debilitating um, manifestation of the disease. Can I make a comment? Please, we'd love to hear it, Dr. Alaviate. As regards to the, uh, the lung uh, uh, chronic GVHD, uh, my opinion uh, is that uh, this is an uh, under, underdiagnosed form of GVHD, uh, and uh, particularly the, the forms of uh, uh, lung GVHD outside BOS, because uh, it has been uh, recently focused that. Uh, many forms of uh, lung uh, involvement are linked, are very similar to the CLAD, chronic lung analog graft reaction disease. And uh, I, I think there's a, a, a real need to, to make improvement in order to, to diagnose this form of chronic GVSD in the lung outside uh, both. And uh, moreover, the the use of other uh, other uh, indicators outside the fev the classical fev such as fev uh, 50 percent uh, maybe can help uh, in uh, in a better and in, in the in the early di diagnosis of this uh, this uh, lung involvement certainly all really valid points and um, um, so I think um, GVHD help can can you know, take all these 
areas into effect. Is there any other um, form of supportive care that um, gets little attention, but um, really anyone's found to be particularly um, impactful for our patients? But to summarize, I think we can say that, um, you know, the role of uh, bringing together uh, lung GVHD experts, pulmonologists, bringing together um, specialists in uh, vaginal GVHD, physiotherapy, um, pelvic floor therapist, um, gynecologist, uh, oral health specialist. Um, these are all areas that would be very important uh, for our patients. Um, mental health and uh, the role of mental health professionals is a very understudied area and uh, and uh, area that could be highlighted. Again, oh, oh, very that, hard to get this published. Sorry, please, Dr. Ali. I think that chronic CVHD of the eye is oh, yeah. quite challenging. Yes, and Absolutely. Um, um, Dr. Grenix uh, said, uh, you know, trying to, you know, discuss the role of lenses and, and maybe newer lenses that can be employed for the fraction of the cost to, so it can really have reached much beyond a few handful of centers uh, um, that, that used um, the previously cost prohibitive uh, um, lenses. I think that would be a wonderful area. Um, I really do think, as I mentioned earlier, having a, a transplant clinician talk to their very helpful uh, subspecialist um, and uh, because they know what what therapies they've uh, seen in their patients and, and a lot of it is anecdotal, but it still is just disseminating knowledge on how one center uh, um, have employed these uh, uh, ancillary supportive uh, care to just to improve the quality of life and uh, and um, and hopefully outcomes for our patients. I think uh, the hub could really um, lead in that way. There's no very little er other presence out there in the social media space um, where that uh, gets a lot of attention. To and I think we needn't worry that it's anecdotal because the interesting finding was when at 2014 for the meeting, we looked at publications between 2000 when the first consensus on supportive care was published and 2014, there was hardly any new evidence. So there is not uh, the studies out there that would have changed anything. And for that reason, I think anecdotal or experience of a center of, of a team um, is very important because uh, that's as good as uh, as it gets these days. And it's probably ever going to get because you can't publish. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get a publication in blood um, on you know how you exclude viral infections or you know you're not going to get a publication in blood um, or some high impact journal um, with some of these papers, but they're equally as important. So. Um, um, until we come up with a way to disseminate this knowledge and uh, um, anecdotal is, is where it's at. Thank you for listening to the GVHD Hub podcast. We would also like to thank our supporters, Insight and Cadman. GVHD Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.